This is Dave Graham, the Retirement Guy. Have you ever heard of the 4% rule? In retirement planning, that's the recommended withdrawal that you'll be taking if you're invested in the stock market, so you simply don't run out of money. Right now, if you're of retirement age, you can actually double the 4% rule. That's right, an 8% guaranteed withdrawal every year for the rest of your life. At Graham Capital Advisors, we can show you how to get the highest guaranteed rates of return. To schedule an appointment, just go to GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. Any examples used are for illustrative purposes only and do not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation, or needs, and may not be suitable for all investors. It is not intended to predict the performance of any specific investment and is not a solicitation or recommendation of any investment strategy. It's time for the Graham Capital Market Update, a daily look at Wall Street brought to you by Graham Capital, an estate planning and investment management firm right here in Florida. How hard is your money working for you? Let's find out with your hosts, David Graham and Stosh Graham. This is Dave Graham of Graham Capital, and you're listening to Graham Capital's Market Update. The show is brought to you from Graham Capital Advisors and Graham Capital Worth Management at every day at 6 p.m. on WHNZ 1250 AM and 105.9 FM. We'll give you a market update of what's going on with the stock market and what major events will possibly affect your investments. By the way, if you're a fan of Dave Ramsey's, I want you to know that we're proud to be part of his Smart Investor Pro team, helping people do the right thing for the right reasons when it comes to their money. We're just as concerned about your life savings as you are, and we're proud to be true fiduciaries. Everyone in our offices have a professional designation. Certified financial planner, certified senior advisor, certified estate planner, and a CPA. We cover it all. And if you want to get a head start with your taxes this year, just go to our website and schedule an appointment. That's GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. And if you feel it's time to get a good second opinion of where you're going with your money, remember this cliche. The lawyer with my broker, the broker I get. So come and see us. Always remember, if you lose it, then you have to remake it. And that takes time. And what are we running out of as we get older? The time that it takes to remake it. Like Ramley says, stop the bleeding immediately. With proper guidance, we can put you on the right path to have a successful, stress-free retirement. It's a three-legged stool. Holy Trinity, a trifecta. Call it whatever you like. It's legal, it's planning, and it's investing. And at Graham Capital Advisors, we do it all. One-stop retirement planning. Just go to our website and schedule an appointment. That's GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. Before we get started, as always, let's all offer a huge heartfelt thanks to our police, firefighters, emergency personnel, our teachers. What about all the men and women in the military services so far from home and protecting us? Where would we be without them? We're very so fortunate to have them. Oh, boy, I'll tell you. Coming up next now, we have Stosh Graham, the Chief Investment Officer of Graham Capital Wealth Management on K Street in Washington, D.C. He's going to give us his take on current events going into today's stock market. Stosh manages and is pushing, pushing to tell close to 10 figures of assets under management and insurance investments. He's the only true professional fund manager that I know of that you're going to hear on the radio on the West Coast of Florida. He's responsible for Graham Capital Wealth Management and all the Graham Capital Advisors assets under management. Regents Equity Partners is a private fund. If you'd like to meet him personally, just go to our website and schedule an appointment 
That's GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. And online, we have Stash Graham, the Chief Investment Officer, Managing Director of Graham Capital Wealth Management in Washington, D.C. That's GrahamCapitalWealth.com. But Stash, thanks for coming on today. So question with the markets today. When you look at what's happened so far, you know that tech stocks that continue to dominate the broader markets, why do you think that is and the dominance that it seems to continue now throughout the year? What are we looking at? Right. So I think you have two material tailwinds that have developed over the last few quarters for, for technology. First and foremost, you have the artificial intelligence uh, uh, tailwind where uh, especially, obviously, the Magnificent Seven, that's certainly a widely known uh, uh, a description of tech companies or chip companies that have exposure to uh, the significant increase or the estimated significant increase of capital expenditures within the artificial intelligence world. Uh, look, you just saw recently the Super Bowl commercials. You saw several artificial intelligence uh, commercials by some of the brand name companies that you and I know. Uh, so we are in the early stages of the artificial intelligence uh, investment that are, that's broadly being made across the wider uh, investment or wider economic uh, landscape. I think the question is, uh, has the rewards that financial markets have already given these companies, uh, is it, does it make sense these credits that the markets are giving them with much, much higher valuations, does it make sense to the realities of how profitable this next wave of artificial intelligence is going to be for these companies? Artificial intelligence is not new. It's been around. Companies have been using it for decades. Mm -hmm. uh, but this sure. consideration certainly has been very pronounced. So that's one tailwind. Second second tailwind is we have seen interest rates, in particular that 10-year US Treasury, interest rates for the last four, four and a half months have come have come noticeably lower, and that obviously helps long duration assets like tech stocks. Well, do you think like when you look at tech stocks, you know they, the the amount of monies, the billions and billions of dollars that they just have sitting there? Like you take Microsoft, they have what one hundred twenty five hundred thirty billion sitting in their checking account. You know, with them eventually just creating creating the future. They don't buy it themselves by buying up patents. They'll have the research and development to do whatever they want. When you bring in artificial intelligence, some people have compared artificial intelligence today as what Google was 15, 20 years ago, where it's going to be in everything that we do, everything that we do. And yeah, you could be a hundred times more valuable than it is today, but it's going to permeate every facet of our society, from medicine research to examining stocks to doing advertising to a hundred different things. And so I guess the issue is, where do you see this going? Do you look from an investment perspective? Look, again, the market has already rewarded these companies with well, frankly, I mean, if you add it all up, hundreds of billions of dollars of market capitalization. Um, and so the market has already rewarded them. We're in a prove it phase. And I get, you get worried because you've seen this happen over the, over the last few decades. And it's not necessarily just, you know, tech related companies. You've seen this in a variety of different spaces, uh, over, over, you know, several decades. Uh, look, the dot-com bubble was largely focused on internet. Obviously we use the internet more now than we did in 1999 to 2000, but you also saw a ton of companies trading valuations that never made any sense. And then for a good portion of them, a material portion of them, 
They didn't exist a few years later. 2003, right. 2005, 2000, they, they were zero. They went out of business. Uh, so again, you can have advancements within a certain space, but then also have the the financial valuations be completely unrealistic. And again, you saw that 24 years ago at the dot-com bubble. I'm not saying artificial intelligence is to the same level as the internet dot-com bubble of, of you know 2001 to 2002, but there are degrees of similarities. And especially when you look at the broader markets, there are a lot of ties that go back to that area of, of financial valuations. Sure. Oh, another, another thing that was happening today is another regional bank now is in the news and the New York Community Bank, you know, it's seen its, sh- its share price fall more than 50%. It's, it's quite a fall. You know, so what's happened to this bank? And, and does that for, foretell future pain for any of the banks that are in the regional space? Well, in particular, the New York Community Bank, their issues are tied to their commercial real estate, in particular, their office, and even more so, their rent-controlled multifamily apartment uh, loan book. Uh, now, to be frank, these issues are largely towards or largely specific to New York Community Bank. You don't have many banks with New York City rent-controlled apartment exposure. Uh, but with that being said, certainly office and office offices problems are certainly well understood. So I don't think there's any shock to that portion of New York Community Bank's uh, asset base. And look, office buildings, office properties themselves, that is a widely owned asset uh, among banks across the country. But it's not necessarily just banks that have office property exposure. You have mortgage real estate investment trusts. You have a lot of private equity uh, that is invested, whether on the equity or debt side. Uh, You have uh, commercial mortgage-backed securities, CMBS, that has a lot of investment uh, exposed to office-based real estate. So the the office-based real estate is not necessarily just a regional bank problem. And in some cases, it's even a bigger problem than other types of entities like uh, uh, CMBSs or, or mortgage REITs. Sure. Inflation. Inflation has been the big boogeyman for the markets and the policymakers the last couple of years. Where do you think inflation is going now? You know, this is a political year, so we're always going to hear about inflation, unemployment, profits, what have you. Where do you think it's going? So in the short run, inflation is going to go lower. Tomorrow, we're going to get another round of CPI data, uh, CPI, Consumer Price Index. It's the most referred to uh, inflation indices that we have uh, in the United States. But look, I think overall, what you're going to get is another leg lower in January CPI figures, both on a month-over-month basis and an annual basis. Now, annual or year-over-year changes in CPIs, what's most referred to in is where your actual social benefits are based off of. We're expecting a three, 3.0. Uh, and look, that is a fall from say 3.7. And I think that continues in the coming months. But you do have longer run leading indicators for inflation that are starting to bottom and in a few cases, actually starting to rise. So what does that mean? That means we have the possibility of, say, inflation decreasing. It's still growing, but the growth rate's decreasing maybe for another three to four months. Then we get to the summer. 
And it would not be shocking to see the year-over-year inflation growth rates flatline and then possibly go higher as we get closer to the end of the year. I think that is a very worrisome situation for the Federal Reserve. I think it's one of the reasons why you've now seen the uh, Fed Fund futures market remove or significantly decrease the chances of a March rate cut. Remember, just 45 days ago, the market participants that bet on the Fed Fund futures market or what the Federal Reserve is going to do had a 100% chance that we were going to have a March rate cut. And now that's below 20% and decreasing. Now the odds on bet is that we get a May rate cut from the Federal Reserve. And look, so you already had a market entering 2024 that was extremely dovish. Six rate cuts and the first one was going to start in March. Now we're approaching four and it's starting in May. So look, I think you have to keep a very close eye on this. I think the Federal Reserve Fed Chair Jerome Powell does not want to be, and this name gets reverberated a lot over the last year, Arthur Burns. He does not want to be an Arthur Burns. He doesn't want to lose to inflation because he knows that's going to tarnish his legacy. And so it would not be shocking, especially over the next few months when Fed Chair Jerome Powell gives a lot of speeches If he comes off as being overly hawkish, he does not want to lose the battle to inflation. And in a lot of instances, if he does, it's worse off for financial markets. Right. Right now, you notice the price of gas. You know, the average consumer is driving down the road and he sees it vacillating a little bit. And it's a little bit on the low side now. And and when you look at what's going on, I know this morning's news has said that you know Iran, you know, says this uh, Gaza conflict now it's going to be having some kind of a diplomatic solution, and yet I, Israel is still, you know, still got war, I guess, to a degree. Uh, and then West Texas uh, intermediate crude—it's it's around seventy-seven dollars a barrel. So where do you see the price of crude going now? I mean, we're going to have a right this summer. We're going to have gas prices going up. What's your gut feeling? So in particular to gasoline prices, it's not necessarily just a barrel of oil. Certainly the barrel of oil will dictate and have a lot of, a lot, it, it's a material weight if you're trying to project where where oil prices or, or gasoline prices are going to go. Uh, but refining is also a issue. Refining capacity in particular is an issue. You have not seen any investment really in the refining capacity complex for gasoline, the gasoline you put in your car uh, in 20 years. If anything, you've seen negative investment. And what I mean by that is you've seen more gasoline refiners close up shop. It's not an economical business model. Now it has right. in the last two to three years as we came out of COVID. Uh, but the the price of gasoline, what you put in your car uh, is there are two determinants. Refining capacity, are we tight? Are we not? And right now we are very tight, uh, which makes the possibility that we have shortages a very real situation. Again, you saw this two years ago or 18 months ago. Um, And then obviously the price of oil. And so the situation with oil in the short run is uh, it's probably going to continue to be range bound with a slightly, a slight bias towards the downside. But I don't think you're ever going to see $40 oil again which is where we were four four years ago, actually four and eight years ago. Uh, I just don't think you're going to see it anymore because you've seen a material contraction in the amount of producers uh, in the United States, let alone everything that happens around the world. Look, we are the largest producer of oil. We, we, we took that from Saudi Arabia a few years ago. Um, but what you've seen is the number 
of exploration and production, EMP companies, come down. A couple of years ago, it was due to, or actually five years ago, it was due to bankruptcy. Two years or three years ago, it was due to bankruptcy. So you've had two separate periods in the last seven years where you've seen a significant or a material amount of bankruptcies within the energy world. Uh, and you've seen that contraction continue, not through bankruptcies, but through mergers and acquisitions. And what right. we've noticed over the last 12 months, and this continues today, is that these mergers that are happening, these larger energy companies buying the smaller energy companies or EMP companies, the first thing they do is immediately chop off 20 to 30% of the amount of rigs that smaller energy company was using. And the, the justification by the larger energy company is, well, we want to preserve those reserves for a later date in time. We don't want to use the same amount of rigs uh, that that energy company that we just acquired was using. And so what have you noticed? In the last 12 months, rig count across the board. It doesn't matter if you're in the Permian or in the Haynesville or the Balkan, they've all come down. Now, that doesn't mean production's come down, but that means rig count has come down. And that's something you want to watch through 2024, certainly. Sure. Well, when you, again, when you look at what's going on now overall with our economy, uh, you know, economists, you know, they, they've been really critical of the Federal Reserve, the most have been critical in 14 or 15 years. And they're starting to think that the Fed is is keeping money a little too tight. So uh, what's your takeaway with that when you see economists saying that the Fed is, should be moving more on that? What's your take from an economic standpoint? Oh, well, from an economic standpoint, financial conditions have actually been loosening the last four or five months. And I, and I think a lot of people, and, and it's not necessarily geared towards the Federal Reserve and their uh, interest rate decisions. Uh, it's largely geared towards mechanisms involving uh, several entities that we don't. We're not going to have enough time on the show to, to talk about. But you actually have seen a lot of money, uh, uh, largely through bank reserves, actually enter the the market, uh, or at least enter the banking system, which is loosened up. Uh, uh, financial conditions, which I think is, again, another catalyst to why you've seen this melt up in markets over the last few months. Look, the, the, the difference between the haves and have nots in the market have continued to expand. We are at a very unique point in financial markets where you will have very well-known companies hitting all-time highs in their, right. in their stock price. But at the same time, you're seeing a handful of companies and it's growing. I think that's probably the most worrisome part, hitting their 52-week lows. Uh, and so you're having this dichotomy uh, between financial stock prices. Uh, again, the ones that are tied to artificial intelligence and largely are very large passive holding positions, meaning their stock is, is held in a lot of ETFs and mutual funds. Um, they're the ones benefiting. And you have a lot of small cap companies who don't have a lot of exposure to uh, passive capital like ETFs. And they're they're wallowing on the bottom. And, and their earnings have come under pressure materially. And so they're struggling to just even maintain profit margin, if they're profitable at all. Now, when you look at people now, when people are retiring here locally, so many of them say, well, well maybe... I should buy and invest in some real estate. And, you know, when you talk about any kind of commercial real estate in particular, 
I mean, in many cases now, you know, you see a slumping value in properties, office buildings, uh, homes in particular. Is that something now that you think is we're just going through a, a malaise of some sort uh, with prices dropping now? Is now the time to actually buy a piece of real estate if interest rates are right? What would you recommend to people? Well, it depends on the type of real estate. I, I think that's the important part. Real estate is a extremely interest rate sensitive sector. Uh, look, we just talked about office properties a couple minutes ago, uh, and and I, th- I would say the comment I just made about interest rate sensitivity is really across the board. You have certain pockets of real estate that tend to be more resistant. Uh, their growth and overall economics is just very, very strong. Uh, but interest rates right now, especially in the public world, I mean, look, you could look at a, at a five-year chart of any REIT. Uh, yes, office REITs certainly bear most of the downside risk, but you have, let's just put it this way, you could take with a very strong or a very high correlation and look at the Federal Reserve, look at the 10-year U.S. Treasury, put both of the Fed funds rate in, again, the 10-year U.S. Treasury rate, and put it right on with a uh, a stock chart, a five-year stock chart with a, any type of read you take up, you can take your pick, and you will notice a very strong correlation of movements. But with real estate in particular, I think you have to be very cognizant of the overall risks that you're taking right now. Cap rates broadly, cap rates the short for capitalization rates. Cap rates right now are still rising. Even with the 10-year U.S. Treasury going down, even with the investment-grade corporate bond interest rates going down, uh, you're still seeing cap rates generally moving higher. And so right now, if you're buying real estate, you're probably a little bit early. Uh, It tends to be that the public real estate markets, uh, real estate investment trusts follow privately held uh, uh, entities or cap rates within the private world. Uh, but I think it's something you have to keep a very, very strong eye on. Home builders, which it, it sounded like you were indirectly referring to, um, you know, home builders, they've had a great run the last two to three years. They've taken a breather right. the last five or six months. Uh, but you're looking at still coming out of the great financial crisis, great recession of, of 07, 08. Uh, you're still coming out of that. Fast forward to now, 2024 you still basically have a decade, a little over a decade of just dramatic underproduction. And we still have a broader undersupply of homes, especially for first-time home buyers. And I think you're just starting, or I think people are aware of that thesis. I think people are now questioning, hey, with interest rates where they are, with a 30-year mortgage at, say, 5 or 6%, uh, certainly not 7 anymore, but say 5 or 6%, can, are people willing to buy uh, their first home? And I think the answer is yes, they are willing to buy their first home. They're just going to have to make concessions about where they live or, or how much home they can actually buy. And I think that's now we're in the second leg of this larger story of where we had undersupply of, of homes, residential homes uh, for you know a period of, of 10 to 12 years. Right, right. Well, it's going to be interesting, like you said, with when people are trying to figure out where they should put their monies. Uh, the reason I brought that up is I had noticed where- uh, the Canadian asset management company Brookfield, they doubled down on their bets. They're putting $15 billion, I guess, into some kind of a, a REIT of some sort. And 
when you look at investing in a REIT now versus buying a personal piece of property, let's say a rental house, uh, what would be in someone's best interest to consider the REIT and not worry about the, the, the upkeep, the maintenance and everything else, or, or buy the rental house in a local market? So it's really just a matter of personal preference, I would imagine, correct? What would you do from yep, an investment? Yeah, it, it, it depends on someone's risk tolerance, depends on someone's investment objectives. Every person is going to have their own their own variation of, of those questions. And I think that helps really steer you towards what type of real estate you want to invest in. Maybe some people want to invest in data centers or or towers, cell phone towers. I know sure. that's been a very popular, very popular theme for for the better part of the last decade. And and their growth rates are certainly um, uh, their growth rates are certainly stronger uh, than say anything you've seen out of office or even industrial. And industrial real estate has been very popular the last couple of years as we've come out of the COVID uh, lockdown uh, with a renewed vigor on uh, manufacturing goods here within our own borders. Right. Well, with all of this going on now, uh, that's one last question here. Our, our budget, U.S. budget now, it's widened 16% the first months, four months of this year, from January through now, and, and it's just a, a mind-boggling, uh, you know, our debt service. Uh, do you think that's going to have a negative effect on the economy as, as this year goes on, or do you think that's going to start getting under control somewhat? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people would have thought, hey, six months ago, this would have been an issue. Uh, the Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen, has masterfully handled the pulling forward of offering of, of new issuance of, of U.S. Treasuries, uh, where say, you know, maybe in, for example, say we had a, maybe a five or 10 year U.S. Treasury, they were going to auction, you know, instead of offering, you know, 30 billion, they decide to only offer 15 billion of the five year. And then instead right. they'll offer, you know, 15 billion on a two year. That way, again, you try to bring down the duration and, and ideally try to bring down uh, interest rates at a later point in time when you try to you know refinance it. Um, but the question is for this year, is she going to be able to do it? And I think right. there is a healthy degree of skepticism. She's not going to be able to do it to the same degree that she did uh, last year. And so say, and and look, we just saw last week, we had a, a record amount of uh, issuance of a 10-year US Treasury that actually met a lot of demand. It was surprisingly right. strong. Uh, to a lot of people, especially when you read all the broader commentary coming into that auction. But will that continue throughout the year? Um, and look, if you believe in supply demand, if you have an increase in supply, and this is in regards to bonds, if you have an increase in supply and demand does not increase with it, you expect higher interest rates. Uh, and if you have higher interest rates on, say, the 10-year U.S. Treasury, um, that's going to put downward pressure on financial assets like stocks. Sure. Stasha, as always, we appreciate your sound sage advice. I will be talking to you tomorrow. You take care, buddy. Absolutely. Take care, David. Let's see you now. If you think time's right for you to get good guidance on your investments, well, let us help you. Go to our website and schedule an appointment and let Stasha help you personally. Get your portfolio in place so you know you're doing the right thing for the right reasons. Let us help you. Go to our website, schedule an appointment. It's GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. You really want to be lucky in life? Then go help someone. God's going to smile on you. You're going to get to be incredibly lucky. We're lucky to be Americans. It's right on our currency. In God we trust. 
And with that, good luck. God bless. Take care of each other. Stay safe. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Graham Capital Market Update. For more information on any of today's topics, visit GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. This program is sponsored by Graham Capital Advisors, LLC, an independent estate planning and insurance agency. Investment advisory services are provided by Graham Capital Wealth Management, LLC, an independent registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Graham Capital Wealth Management and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. The information provided is for educational and informational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice and it should not be relied on as such. Individuals should consult a qualified professional for guidance before making any purchasing decisions. This is Dave Graham, the retirement guy. Did you purchase an annuity that hasn't made you any money? Well, the good news is that you're not stuck with it. At Graham Capital Advisors, a new proprietary software will show you how you can redirect your money into the highest available guaranteed income payouts for life. If you're 65 years old, you can receive 7.9%. At 70 years old, 8.2%. If you're 75, 8.99%. Need help? Go to our website and schedule an appointment. That's Graham Capital Advisors. Any examples used are for illustrative purposes only and do not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation, or needs, and may not be suitable for all investors. It is not intended to predict the performance of any specific investment and is not a solicitation or recommendation of any investment strategy.